I do have the pleasure of uh, preaching around in, in our Presbyterian number of different churches, but I'll tell you, this is always special. It really is to come here and see old friends and dear brothers and sisters, and it's always a joy to um, fill the pulpit. My text this morning is uh, Psalm 103, which I hope and pray will be fuel for thanksgiving for all of us. Uh, in light of the season of thanksgiving we are in right now, but even more perhaps uh, that the, the regular thanksgiving in our lives that all of us need reminders and encouragements too. Just note as I read Psalm 103, just briefly how it flows. You can almost think of it as a mighty river. It begins with a few verses of very personal thanksgiving and the psalmist calling himself, his own soul, to be grateful to the Lord, and then flows out to um, being grateful for God's benefits to all who fear the Lord, he says, until we come then to the end of the psalm, and he goes even further and calls the entire cosmos to praise God and to give thanks. So sort of keep that in mind as we look at uh, this wonderful Psalm 103. Psalm of David, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust." As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind passes over it, and it is gone. Its place knows it no more. For the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of, the, of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Thus far in God's word, let us pray. We thank you for this wonderful statement of thanksgiving and pray, Lord, that you would now, by your spirit, um, kindle within us, uh, yes, a season of thanksgiving, but a life of thanksgiving. And we pray that you would help us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. 
Charles Spurgeon wrote of this psalm that there is too much in this psalm for a thousand pens to write. That is so true. When you plan to preach on this psalm, you spend a lot of time cutting things out that you're just not going to have time to say because there's just too much to say. Derek Kidner, a fine commentator on the psalm, says that admiring gratitude shines through every line of this psalm. And that also is true. In order to focus and to have some way of, of getting at something helpful by the psalm without getting overwhelmed by its riches, uh, I'd like you to consider his steadfast love, which the psalmist says the Lord abounds in steadfast love. And that's a precious word in our Bibles, uh, the chesed of the Lord, the, the, the covenant faithfulness, the, the loyal love uh, the loving kindness of the Lord is translated various ways, but here steadfast love in which the Lord abounds is, is a good focus for the center of this very psalm which moves us to thanksgiving. And if I may, I'd like you to consider uh, five facets of this steadfast love that we see in this psalm. And I think each of them will be fairly brief. But, but I want you to consider first that his steadfast love is deeply personal. Then I want you to consider that his steadfast love is immeasurably high and deep. And then consider that his steadfast love is tender to those who fear him. And then that his steadfast love is everlasting. And finally, that it is worthy of proclamation throughout all creation, throughout the cosmos. So let's consider first, because this is where the psalmist begins, with the fact that his steadfast love is deeply personal. And, and notice all the personal language and pronouns in the first five verses. The psalmist is really talking to himself, taking a selfie of his soul is kind of what he's doing. Oh, my soul, what is within me? Oh, my soul. And, and soul, remember that the Lord has forgiven your iniquities, your diseases. He's redeemed your life. He satisfies you with good. I think we mistakenly think sometimes when we come across a magnificent and beautiful passage like Psalm 103 or the Magnificat of Mary or... Hannah's song in the Old Testament. We, I tend to kind of think, oh, that's, I, I wish I could just, praise would just flow out of me like that because this just flowed out of them so spontaneously. Uh, and I don't think that's true. The psalmist in this case was clearly working on thanksgiving. And isn't that true mostly for our lives? That most of the time, let's be honest about it, Thanksgiving doesn't just sort of automatically flow out of our being. We have to remind ourselves, don't we? We have to take ourselves in hand. We have to preach to ourselves and say, let's remember all of his benefits, as the psalmist says, and give thanks to him. And I think that's exactly what he's doing. He's saying, soul, listen up, soul. You need to be grateful to the Lord for all of his benefits to you. He says, bless the Lord, which is, which is an atypical word. It, it really just means praise. It's not different from the word in meaning. 
But I do think a little bit of nuance here when he calls, uh, he calls upon his soul to bless the Lord, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, is that word flows right out of the covenant. Because God's dealings covenantally are always either blessing or curse. And the psalmist is remembering God's covenant faithfulness to him, and in this case is responding back to him with blessing. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and let all that is within me bless his holy name. Not not just my intellect, but my feelings, my willpower, dare we say my imagination. Let all these within me, says the psalmist, praise his holy name. And that word benefit is is also a, a wonderful word. Really, it literally means dealings. That's really what the word means, and you can look in various places in a Hebrew concordance and you'll find it used exactly that way. And here's the thing. God deals with his creatures in one of two ways. It's either for blessing or for curse. It's either for judgment or for salvation. The psalmist clearly in this context is noting that God has dealt with him in a gracious way, in a blessed way in a kind way. And and so he says, don't forget all of those dealings of God with your soul. This is a wonderful thing about the Christian faith. We do not know and serve a God who sits distantly from us in a control room and runs his creation in a mechanical way. Our God has enters into personal dealings with our souls. Isn't that amazing? With, with your souls, every one of you and me, our this great God has dealt and deals with my soul. And I think if we can't put personal pronouns to our faith, it's not very real. Maybe not even real at all. Somewhere we have to come to be able to realize that the Lord has dealt with me. He's been good to me. And I thank him for that. And what comes to mind particularly, first of all to the psalmist, is the way he has dealt with our sins. He forgives all your iniquity. We'll see this elsewhere in the psalm. He heals all your diseases, which, which I take here as not a promise that he's going to heal all of our diseases in this life, but diseases as linked to sin. Um, I think he's thinking here of the pollution of sin. He forgives our iniquities. He cleanses us from the pollution of sin. And then as we'll see a little further on, he breaks the power of sin in our lives. So his steadfast love for the psalmist is deeply personal. And my brothers and sisters, I hope it is for you as well. Second reflection on this steadfast love is that his steadfast love is immeasurably high and wide. And here we'll see the psalmist, the Holy Spirit really, so masterfully painting us a picture with words. Sometimes scripture uses added emphasis, and I love it when it does so. He doesn't say that his steadfast love simply is great, but it's so great. 
Not just that he's removed our iniquities far from us. I'm thinking here of verses uh, 10 through 12. Uh, but he has removed them so far. It's interesting how we use language to emphasize things like that. Uh, when, you're, when your kids are babies, what's, how big are you? So big. You want to give them a sense of how big they are. And when we as adults are talking, we'll say, that is so true, which means it's really true. Or that was so awesome, which means it was really awesome what happened. And here, the psalmist speaks in a similar way. He paints with words. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how great his love is to you. And how far has he removed his sins, our sins from us? He has removed them as far as the east is from the west. And the point here is not an invitation to go get our instruments and measure things. That's not the point. Go out with your instruments and measure how far it is up to those clouds up there. Or, yes, I can tell you how far it is from New Delhi, India to San Francisco. I can tell you how far. That's not the point. The point is his steadfast love is immeasurable. You can't measure it. It is so vast. And I think this is exactly what the apostle is thinking about in Ephesians chapter 3. In that wonderful prayer of his, Uh, listen to these words and tell me if you think that's not what he's thinking about. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. We have a life and then an eternity to comprehend the height and the depth and the breadth and the length of the love of Christ. I remember a man talking about his pastor one time who had been a pastor for a long time and preached God's word for a long time and really knew God's word, and this man said in effect to his pastor, oh, I'm amazed at just how much you know about God and about the Bible. And the pastor said to him, I am only scratching the surface. I totally relate to that. I I feel like I'm just scratching the surface in understanding, in trying to comprehend the, the utter greatness, the immeasurable greatness of the steadfast love of God. But may he give us hearts to want to more and more comprehend the richness of his love. I also want to point out as Uh, David is painting here with words. In the third place, that his steadfast love is tender to those who fear him. Now I'm thinking of verses 13 and 14. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. By my my account, um, three or maybe it's four times in this psalm, the psalmist describes those who receive God's benefits. They're not for everyone. There are are those who receive his benefits. And how does he describe the recipients of those those benefits? He describes them as those who fear the Lord. And 
That's what he uses right here. As the Lord has, has com- shows compassion, as a father is compassionate to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And I think as modern Christians, that's one of those concepts we struggle with sometime. But I want to say that the fear of the Lord is not a hoop we jump through nor is it describing the terrified relationship of a slave to a master or a worker to a fearsome boss. Notice the context in which it's spoken. The fear of the Lord is is just like the way a child relates to a loving parent. That's the fear of the Lord. I remember clearly as a boy in a neighborhood growing up with lots of boys in my neighborhood, and I'm thinking probably seven, eight, nine years old, and your dad is is your hero, and we would be we'd get into discussions among the boys about our dads. They're in a group like that when you were a boy, and 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 you'd, it'd turn into a bragging session. Oh, my dad is the best softball player on his team. My dad is so good at football. My dad is the boss at his work. I like to throw that one in there because my dad wasn't an athlete so much, but he was the boss at his work. And, and in the background, yes, there was some literal fear of our dads. They were the disciplinarians. We didn't want to make them angry. Yes, there was some of that. But do you see what that fear was? It was the wonder-filled amazement that this great man is my dad. That's what it was. And that's what the fear of the Lord is in the Bible. It, it's, it's the wondered amazement that this God is my heavenly father, and he cares for me, and I really want to please him. That's, they are the ones for whom God's benefits are, and, and not as a condition to fulfill. If we had time, we'd, we would look at the, the connections of the psalm with the Exodus and God delivering his people uh, uh, from, from oppression in verse 6. That's what he's talking about. He has in mind the Exodus because he goes on to quote um, Moses' description of the name of the Lord in verses 7 and 8. So the fear of the Lord is not some moral achievement on our part that we take credit for. It's surely a gift of grace. But his benefits are for those who fear him. As the, as the awe-filled joy that a child would have for his earthly father. So the the child of God has for his heavenly father. And we grow in the fear of the Lord. Fourthly, his steadfast love is everlasting. Verses 15 through 17 are very haunting. They're very poignant, but they're very beautiful tacking on to the fact that remembering that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. I'm reading this through the context of a good friend that I lost two weeks ago to dementia. I hate dementia. I hate what it does to people. And he's gone. And and this psalm is, is so stark. The wind passes over it, and it is gone. He's gone. I keep hearing his laughter in my head. I keep hearing him laugh. He had this contagious, energetic laugh. And the psalm tells me, I'll never hear that again in this life. That's sobering. But, but, 
Thank God that he puts those, those words, that interjective, but in, in the scriptures. Uh, verse 17, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. Death cannot overcome the steadfast love of the Lord. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ because his steadfast love is everlasting. And I'm sure my departed friend isn't worrying about it because he's in the presence of the Lord. But I do think in order to profit from this psalm and to be moved more to thanksgiving, we have to come to terms with at least two things or we won't appreciate it. As I've already indicated, we have to come to terms with how sinful we are. And we have to own our sins and our sinfulness. Because if we don't, then his forgiveness and his steadfast love don't really mean that much to us. But secondly, we also have to come to terms with our mortal frailty. Maybe the older you get, the easier that is to do. The younger you are, the harder that is to do. But it's still probably hard for all of us. We don't want to submit to that reality. That we are dust. That our frames are dust. That we are like grass. That we're here today. We're gone tomorrow. But you see, when we come to terms with that to some extent, then the everlasting steadfast love of the Lord becomes precious. Because his steadfast love does not end at the grave, thanks be to God. But will issue forth in our resurrection because our Lord has been raised up. And we will go on comprehending for eternity something of the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of his steadfast love. Finally, a final facet of this I want to mention to you is really the last three verses of the psalm, that his steadfast love deserves universal praise. This, this great psalm should not, his steadfast love should be fuel for our personal thanksgiving, as I've already said. It should also be fuel for the thanksgiving offered by the church by those who fear the Lord. I've already said that. But his steadfast love should also be fuel for the missionary work of the church. I hope you were able to hear Sunday School this morning. That just added to, to, to my sense of this. But notice what the psalmist is doing. He, he goes beyond himself, way beyond himself, and even beyond those who fear the Lord. Bless the Lord, you his angels. You mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of the Lord. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. He's saying, I want to see everyone praising God. I want to see everyone glorifying him. I want to see everything submissive to the glory of God. And if that's not fuel for missions and evangelism and the work of the church, then I certainly don't know what is. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his dealings, all his benefits.